If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Today, we're going to be focusing on remembering his reconciliation. Paul was writing in the book of Colossians, refuting a heresy that was sweeping through the churches called Gnosticism, where knowledge was everything, and Jesus couldn't be God in human flesh. And Paul writes to refute all that, and in so doing, he reminds us of the power of the reconciliation, the great healing between God and man that was won at the cross. Here's how Paul puts it in Colossians 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become its servant. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, what you have worked for us through the cross of Jesus is more powerful than we can currently understand, but someday we will. When we stand in your presence, surrounded by that glory, looking into your face, we're going to realize in that moment we have no business being there except for the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which has cleansed saved us, and reconciled us to God. And as we come to this table today, God, speak to us. For in this room today and in the hearing of my voice, wherever we are, there are people today who need to come to Jesus Christ who have never trusted him as Lord and Savior. And there are those today who have drifted away who need to come back in true repentance out of love for Jesus. And there are those who are faithful who simply need the encouragement to stay strong and keep bringing glory to your name. So God, as we come to this table today, be honored amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There are probably few places in the world where the glory of God can be so distinctly seen as in a chatty night sky. And a couple of times that I have been there, I can tell you when you are out on the eastern deserts far from a village or anywhere else, and you look up into the sky, it is absolutely staggering in its scope. You see things that in the light of a city you would never see, stars that go deeper and patchwork of stars and galaxies out there that are amazing to be seen. It humbles you to be there to see it. The heavens declare the glory of God, David said. His eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in the things that are made wrote Paul. You have only to lift your eyes to the heavens to be overwhelmed by his glory. 
And there are probably few places on earth where God's glory is more glaringly missed than in the lives of the Chadian people. Thousands upon thousands living in poverty, sin and hopelessness, bound in fear, false religion, and animistic superstition. Created in God's image and for the praise of his glory, we see people cut off, unaware, ignorant of the very God who made that sky over their heads and who paid such a price to save them from their sin. And people, what's true in Chad is true in America. And it's true in every nation that does not live for the glory of God. The contrast is striking. God's glory magnificently displayed in the heavens, yet so tragically missed by people on earth. There is a separation between God and man. Man was created for worship, but before that can happen, there has to be a healing of the rift in the relationship between God and man. That healing in relationship with God is called reconciliation. And God has made the way for reconciliation through the death of his son. And that's what we're remembering today in communion. Communion is our remembrance of the death of Jesus and all that it means for the healing of that relationship with God. Jesus said, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood. It's given for you. And therefore, he said, as often as you eat it, remember me. This is a memorial. We've shared with people often that eating this will not make you a Christian. This will not get your sins forgiven. It won't get you into heaven, and it certainly won't reconcile you to God. The only way to experience those things is to come into a relationship with God by faith, believing that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the sacrifice of his body and the pouring out of his blood was sufficient payment to meet the demands of God's law, which we had broken. And in that payment, we would be forgiven. Our payment made, Jesus was buried in the tomb. Three days later, he rose again, and he's alive today, offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to all who believe and receive him. Eating this meal will not do that for you. But eating this meal as God intended helps us to remember how Jesus' death brought reconciliation with God. It's a reconciliation that all of us need. Because communion reminds us that humanity's greatest need is reconciliation with God. And how is that reconciliation achieved? It's achieved through the body and blood of Jesus sacrificed on the cross. Here's how Paul put it in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You know, I've been told some whopping lies in my lifetime, and I'm, unfortunately, I have also lied in the past myself, something I try very hard with God's grace never to do again. But of all the lies that I've ever heard, the greatest is this. We are all God's children. Every approach to God is valid. 
and we all go to heaven when we die. Anybody ever heard that said? All three of those are a glaring lie. The truth is, we are not all God's children. There is only one way to God, and nobody goes to heaven when they die, unless they are reconciled to God. You see, the truth of God's word is that we are not God's children. We are God's by creation. We are made in his image, but we are not God's children. Jesus could not have been clearer when he told the Jewish leaders who claimed they were God's kids that they were not God's children at all. You remember in John 8 when he confronted them? And they said to him, Abraham is our father. Well, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies, which gives you an idea when you are lying, who's using your mouth. It isn't God, it's Satan himself. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You see, we are not born God's children. We have to become God's children. That's what John was writing in John 1, verse 10, when he said he was in the world, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. You must become a child of God. You do that by believing and receiving Christ into your life. Paul also tells the Colossians, there are not many ways to God, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Peter boldly proclaimed in the public square in Jerusalem in Acts 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The apostle John told the people that God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He didn't have to. They were condemned already. Jesus was sent into the world by God to save the world. John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. When I'm out sharing with people in the world who don't know the Lord, one of the things they often throw back in my face is, 
why would a good God, a loving God, send anybody to hell? I tell them, he doesn't. He doesn't. We're all on our way there naturally because of our sin. God didn't send Jesus to condemn us. He sent Jesus to save us. He's here to save us. That's what Paul was telling the Colossian Christians. Everyone does not go to heaven when they die unless they have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. And Paul tells him, it isn't religion or good works or tradition or sincerity or going to church or getting baptized or taking communion. That's not what does it. It's only by faith in the body and blood of Jesus sacrificed on the cross as sufficient payment for our sins that you can be reconciled to God. That's why Paul went on to tell him in Colossians 2, don't, don't be taken in by all these deceptions and all this hollow, deceptive philosophy that's going around in the world today, which is nothing more than the traditions of men and their opinions and their lies. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You who are alienated have now been reconciled by the body and the blood of Jesus. That's why Paul said in Colossians 1, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. If you abandon this, there's no hope for you. When you are saved, you are eternally saved. But if you turn away, there's evidence that you may have never really believed at all. Why would you turn away from a God who has paid this to save you? This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul said you've been reconciled. You've been changed. The word literally is an exchange has been made. In relation to God, it means you have been changed from an enemy to a friend. You have exchanged separation and alienation to becoming a child in relationship with God. You have exchanged eternal death for eternal life. And the term Paul used here in Colossians 1 is the strongest form of the word reconcile he could possibly use. 
It means a complete reconciliation, a total reconciliation. It means the removal of all enmity and all impediment so that unity and peace and relationship can be firmly, completely, and eternally established in Jesus Christ. You have been reconciled to God, he said. That's what Jesus did for us when he gave his body and shed his blood on the cross. He took our sin, our separation, and our death to bring us to God. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unjust the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He suffered once for sin to bring you to God. The exchange price has been paid, and the offer has been made. That's why it says in Romans 5, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though... For a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, the problem is, most of the world doesn't know that God's paid this reconciliation price. Most people don't know that they could be healed in their relationship with God because they've never heard which is why we do missions, which is why I am a missionary and you are a missionary, which is why everybody we come across, the real heart issue is this. Have you been reconciled to God and have you heard the message of reconciliation, what God has done to save you? That's why Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our ministry. That's our message. God has healed our relationship through the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Because you see, Paul said there's only two options for all of us. Colossians 1, verse 21. You're either alienated from God and his enemy, or verse 22. You are reconciled to God. 
and his child. That's what we're remembering today at this table. Jesus said, this bread is my body. This cup is my blood. It's given for you. Therefore, as often as you eat this, remember me, the one who gave his life to reconcile you to God. God, what a gift. What a gift. So many years of my life, I didn't even know I was estranged from you. I didn't even know who you were. And yet, like all of us, when we were so powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus, you gave your life to pay the price. So with God's law fully met, we could be forgiven. And with our sins cleansed, we could be brought into relationship with God. The separation has been healed. The relationship is reconciled. We are God's children. And that's what we're remembering today. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, let us join our hearts and our praise with believers all over the world today who are acknowledging this great sacrifice which has reconciled us to God. We love you today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.